Welcome to the Outpost Bible Church podcast. My name is Pastor Alex Rodriguez. The Outpost Bible Church seeks to see men and women delivered by Christ, discipled in Christ, and deployed for Christ in His kingdom. Our values are to be Christ-centered, gospel-driven, scripturally grounded, prayerfully dependent, and mission-focused. Here, you will be able to find all of our Sunday morning and Sunday evening sermons. God bless. Good evening to the Outpost Bible Church. It is an honor and a privilege to be here with you. Um, Alex and I were talking uh, on the way on the way uh, back from church this after this afternoon, and um, it just hit me, you know, when the Lord decided to bless uh, my brother and his family, myself and my family, with a friendship. Um, and a relationship that uh, neither one of us knew we needed um, was right when you guys first started, right when the outpost first got kicked off. And so I want you to know that all the way from Atlanta, Georgia, um, I have been praying for you for years. And I pray for you weekly. Um, my brother and I talk literally every day. Um, and so you guys are always on my hearts, always on my minds. Um, I pray for you. I pray for your elders. I pray for the leadership. And so it's just so incredible to see all that God has done here at the outpost as he continues to build his church. That said, my topic this evening is the wonderful doctrine of adoption. And our main text is going to be in Ephesians chapter one. Uh, so you can go ahead and turn there. But I will go ahead and tell you that um, when I preach, there's a lot of Bible. Um, so I know you guys are used to that because I listen to your pastor's sermons weekly, um, but uh, we're, we're going to kick it up a notch tonight. And because I have nothing to say apart from the word of God, um, it is the only living and active word, uh, book that exists. And so we are going to be in the Bible. And of course, just like your pastor and some of your elders, my preferred translation is the Legacy Standard Bible. Um, so, but... Whatever you got is what you got. So here we go. Um, the wonderful doctrine of adoption. Now, this, this doctrine is something that is rarely spoken of in today's realm of modern evangelicalism. Yet it is by far one of the sweetest and most convicting doctrines in all of Christianity. And it's something that we see wrought throughout the scriptures and especially this being a Reformed church, we talk about justification, and we should, but something that we should also be talking about, something that we should study, something that we should hang our hat, our hope on, our heart on, is this doctrine, the doctrine of adoption. It's noted Presbyterian theologian Chad Van Dixhorn who says this, quote, Biblical sonship is the Cinderella story of Christian theology. Biblical sonship is the Cinderella story of Christian theology. So that said, we're going to dive into our main text, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. And God's holy and errant and fallible and completely sufficient word says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love by predestining us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure 
of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he graciously bestowed upon us in the beloved. That's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Now, this is just one of countless passages found in the scriptures that speak to this wonderful doctrine of adoption. In this doctrine of adoption, it takes place in what's called the Ordo Salutis, the order of salvation. It's there. We just don't talk about it enough. Now, uh, we are going to be looking at, like I said, a lot of passages of scripture today. One of the biggest misconceptions um, that some have talked about when they talk about the Puritans is that this was not a topic they discussed. And this could not be further from the truth, as we're going to see. Here's how the Westminster Divines put it in chapter 12 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Quote, All those that are justified, God vouchsafe in and for his holy son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption, by which they are taking, taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God, have his name put upon them, receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness, are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as a father, yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption, and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. Now, my goal today, my goal tonight, is going to be merely to scratch the surface, if that, on this wonderful topic. And Lord willing, uh, we will do so by unpacking his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this time. God, I pray now that as we dive into your word, as we look at what your word says in multiple places, God, that you would, you would speak to each of our hearts as, as necessary tonight for your glory and to conform us more and more into the image of your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, this chapter out of the Westminster Confession of Faith, by the way, just a couple of quick facts. Chapter 12 is the shortest chapter in the Westminster Confession of Faith. A few things about that and a few, th a few reasons why it's the shortest chapter. Number one, there wasn't a lot of theological works or reflections concerning the doctrine of adoption when the Westminster was written in the 17th century. Now, along those lines, th th this was a straight statement of truth, as you'll find in every chapter of the Westminster Confession. And in fact, and, and there's nothing to refute when it comes to the subject. There was no error that the Westminster divines were trying to correct when they wrote this. The great objection and change came in the 19th century when there was a, when liberal theology spread through Europe and the United States. And this is where what we, we, we saw what's called comparative religion took place. There were a lot of liberal theologians, and I want you to catch this. They proposed what's called a universal fatherhood or a universal brotherhood, all promoting the fact of something we hear today. We are all God's children. Now, there's a good amount of overlap, by the way, when it comes to the doctrine of the assurance of salvation, or what's called the perseverance of the saints, and the doctrine of adoption. You're going to find things overlap as they should. So let's go back to our text for a minute. And we have to remember, and this is key, that every true follower 
of the Lord Jesus Christ, every true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ has been chosen in him before the foundation of the world. That, 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 that has been the plan from the beginning. Brothers and sisters, adoption, you and I being adopted into the family of God has always been the plan of God and the reason he sent his son. We have to remember that. Now, the Apostle Paul, as he writes to the church at Galatia in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5, said this, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Adoption is found, is found in Christ, is for Christ alone, according to the kind intention of of his will, according to Ephesians 1, verse 5. Now, when it comes to addressing those in the 19th century, okay, um, that, that, that would espouse this, that we are all God's children, and those who ascribe to this, this errant view today, there is no such thing in Christ as, 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 as a universal brotherhood. We aren't. If you are not in Christ, if you are in Adam, you are not... It, in the family of God. We are not all God's children. There is a universal neighborhood, but not a universal brotherhood. The brotherhood applies to those who are in Christ. God is the creator of all, but he is not the father of all. And we have to remember that. So one example in the scriptures where we see this, by the way, is look at when Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, and verse 9, he's teaching the disciples how to pray. He's not teaching the Pharisees. He's not teaching the unbelieving world. He's teaching the disciples how to pray. And this is what he says. Pray then in this way. Our Father, our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. Now, what's incredible about this up to this point is that Jesus Christ himself is the only one who could address the Father as Father. No one else could do that from a filial sense. And we see, we see what God thinks of his own son in Hebrews chapter 1. So turn there with me. Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. And by the way, there are going to be passages of Scripture tonight that I do quote. Um, and then there are going to be passages where I'm like, guys, we need to turn there. I want you guys to read this with me. We need to see this together. And this is one of those passages. So Hebrews chapter 1. God, having spoken long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, spoke to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Who is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power? Who, having accomplished cleansing for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they? Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. And you can keep reading. Keep reading that section all the way to verse 11. It's incredible to read. 
As Thomas Watson puts it, and by the way, Thomas Watson is my favorite Puritan. I, I want to quote him a lot tonight, so bear with me. As Thomas Watson points out in his wonderful work, I think it's his magnum opus personally, A Body of Divinity, he points out that God, that the fact that God would adopt any of us when he had a perfect son of his own wondrous thought is, is mind-blowing. Typically, by the way, Right? When we think about adoption today, typically one adopts because they either don't have a child of their own or they want more children and can't have any. But that's not why God adopted us. So to, to, to think about this, to think about that God chose you before the very foundation of the world to be grafted in and adopted into his family, does this cause this kind of response? Colossians 1, 12 through 14 says this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, who rescued us from the authority of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his son, uh, the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thomas Watson again says this, he says this quote, Now, since God had a son of his own, and such a son, how wonderful God's love in adopting us. We needed a father, but he did not need sons. Again, that's Thomas Watson from A Body of Divinity. And I don't know about you guys, but I'll be completely honest with you. There are too many moments in my own life where I take that for granted. What an extraordinary privilege we have that we can address the creator of heaven. Psalm 33 says he breathes stars into existence. We address him because of what Christ has done as Abba Father. Now, that term, Abba Father, is meant to be a term of endearment. It is, a, it is an intimate term. He gives us that privilege, not of our own doing, but merely by his love and his choice. And we see that in scripture, Galatians 4, 4 through 7. I already read it, but I'm going to read it again. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that he might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his sons into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. Now, a quick note. Whoop, almost stepped off there. A quick note about Abba Father. We see our Lord using this very, this very same phrase in the garden. Mark chapter 14, verse 36 says, And he was saying, Abba Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So now that you and I have been grafted in to the family of God, the father looks on us as he would look on his son with complete love, with complete affections, and all the blessings thereunto. You know, it was interesting. I was doing some reading about what adoption looked like at the time Paul would have written these letters. And it's not the same as what we would see today. The adoption, like if someone adopted a slave, and I love Paul's words there in Galatians, but if someone adopted a slave, any, any, your former master, anything you owe to that master 
It was done, null and void, paid for in the fullness. And whatever inheritance, whoever adopted you, 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 you got their name, you got the inheritance, all of it. That was a big deal back then. And so that's, that, that's why Paul uses these, these words and these illustrations to, to show how the family of God works. Brothers and sisters, have we truly, do we truly, daily, hourly stop and consider our condition prior to our salvation as opposed to who we are now? Now, I, I want to be careful here because Paul says in Philippians to, to not look back, to strain forward to what lies ahead. But at the same time, it's good for us to know and remember that this is not anything that we've done. We were dead, deformed, depraved, crooked, ill-favored to say the least. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3. And we're going to look at that. We're going to look at what, what, what Scripture says about our condition apart from Christ. Romans chapter 3. Starting in verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That was us. And if you are no, not in Christ yet, if you are, have not confessed Christ as Lord, as we talked about this morning, if you have not dug and built your foundation on the rock, this is still you. This is who you are. You know, one of the reasons that we adopt in, in, in today's world or, or that really tug at our heartstrings when, it, when we consider what comes to adoption is that the person or the child maybe that we're looking to adopt is considered to be you know, beautiful, adorable, right? We look at the little babies. We, you know, oh, my gosh, they're so, they're, they're, they're so cute. They're so, yeah, okay, until, it's, until they start growing up. But brothers and sisters, remember this, that we were enemies of God. We were mortal enemies of God. His wrath would set against us. We had been polluted by sin. Our best attempts at righteousness were and are like filthy rags. Dead, diseased, distraught in the weight and effects of our sin is the condition that we are in before regeneration, before justification, and before adoption into the kingdom of God. And how incredible is this thought to think that even when that's what God sees, that he chooses to redeem us and adopt us into the fold and the family of God. It makes heaven wonder. It makes heaven celebrate. It makes the angels look in awe, Scripture tells us, at what Christ has done and what God does through Christ in us. Man, what a thought. It just We almost can't comprehend it when you really start to think about it. So what does this adopted kingdom look like? Well, it's, it's, it's from and for people from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 through 29. For all 
of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise, that everlasting covenant that, that God established with Abraham that we see back in Genesis. Acts chapter 10, and I like, I love, I love this passage. Acts 10, 34 and 35. And opening his mouth, Peter said, I most truly comprehend now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the one who fears him and does righteousness is welcome to him. Acts 10, 34 and 35. Thomas Watson again says this, and I love this. Adoption is a mercy spun out of the bowels of free grace. Adoption is a mercy spun out of the bowels of free grace. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Male, free, Scythian, elsewhere in scripture, Scythian, slave, free man. Paul wants to take all doubt out of who is welcome into the kingdom. When we are adopted into the family of God, we are called by and given the Father's name. Revelation chapter 3, verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the sanctuary of my God, and he will never go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Jeremiah 14, verse 9. Why? Are you, capital U, by the way, like a man confused, like a, like a mighty man who cannot save? Yet you are in our midst, O Yahweh, and, you are, and, and we are called by your name. Do not leave us. 2 Corinthians 6, 18, and I will be a father to you, and you, will be, you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And Paul says in his magnum opus in, in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, which, by the way, we are going to revisit Romans 8 at the very end today. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, you can. Put your finger there, put a bookmark there, whatever you want to do. But Paul says this, for as many as are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, there it is again, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Romans chapter 8. So brothers and sisters, when we are adopted by God, through Christ, for Christ, in Christ, he anoints us, he makes us saints, he gives us a new nature, he sanctifies us positionally and progressively. When we as human beings adopt someone, we give them our name and an inheritance, but we cannot give them our nature. When we, by the Holy Spirit of God, are given not only a new name, we are given his name, the creator God. And we are given a nature that, that is now attuned to the ordinances and the truths found in God's word. 
2 Peter 1, 4, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lusts. Watson again, he, that being Christ, turns the wolf into a lamb. We see this, our Lord laid this out in John chapter three, turn there with me. John chapter three, when our Lord is speaking to Nicodemus, verses three through six, he says this, Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, verily, verily, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which has been born of, of the flesh is flesh, and that which has been born of the spirit is spirit. Remember, we're not born sons of God. There's no such thing as a universal brotherhood. Adoption doesn't come by the blood that runs through our veins. Adoption into the kingdom of God does not come by, by the blood that runs through our veins, but by grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone. How many godly parents have absolutely horrid children, right? We are born in the flesh, and as our Lord said, flesh begets flesh. An apple seed, when planted, doesn't grow watermelons. That's not the way it works. John 3, verse 6, again, that which has been born of the flesh is flesh, and that which has been born of the Spirit is spirit. Unbelievers, we are told, were dead in our trespass, in trespasses and sins. Again, Thomas Watson, God has no dead children. And not being children, they have no right to inherit. As hard as it is to swallow, we must remember that there are two groups of people in this world. There are sons and daughters of the Most High God, that have their heavenly father and there are those who, who are of their father, the devil. There's two options. There's no in-between. There's no gray area. It's black or it's white. You are in the kingdom, you are in Christ, or you're in Adam. A great exchange happens when we're born again. An entire alteration of our whole person, the whole inner man. We are given a new heart we have a fresh start that is from God alone, a new heart to love God, a new heart to know God, a new heart to believe God, a new heart to praise God, and a new heart to obey God. And that is one of the first signs and fruits that we have been adopted, is that we obey him, as we talked about this morning. Now, what's awesome about this is, I this is this, this is a sermon that I've given before. And it just happens that Pastor Alex was preaching on what he was preaching this morning. So that's, that's, that's the Lord's grace right there. Thomas Watson says this, quote, So when God says, drink not in sin's enchanted cup, as an adopted child says, my heavenly father has commanded me and I dare not drink. A gracious soul not only believes God's promise, but he obeys it. 
And this is something, of course, that, that, that we see and we hear in Scripture. And, and now we're going to get into, we're going to see a lot of overlap from what Pastor Alex preached this morning. Luke 18, 17, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God is like a child who will not enter at all. Contrast that, by the way, with our Lord's admonishment. And we heard this multiple times this morning, John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Our new heart and our new nature not only gives us the ability, but the desire to obey God's commands. Not only the ability, but the desire to obey. Where we were once sons of disobedience, walking in accordance to the, of the pattern of this world, we were on the broad road that led to destruction, but we have been placed by God's grace alone on this narrow way that leads to life. And as a child of God, as an adopted child of God, we must be regulated by the standards that are found in his all-sufficient, infallible, and completely inerrant word, totally and alone. One of the things that I like to say is it's not only sola scriptura, but it's tota scriptura. Scripture alone, all of scripture, the whole counsel of God. Any and everything else is strange fire. All of life is worship, brothers and sisters, all of it. What we think, what we say, what we do reflects who we see God as. How do we see him? Do we see him as our heavenly father? Do we fear him? Because if so, we will desire to obey him according to his standards. It must be, our salvation must be from faith alone. Augustine says this, he says, quote, all acceptable works proceed from faith. From the root of our faith in God that has been given is where our obedience and the works that we do, where that comes from, as, as Pastor Alex read this morning, Ephesians 2.10. And we see that, by the way, as far back as Genesis. I mean, the writer of Hebrews in verse 4 of chapter 11 says this, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he was approved as being righteous. God approving his gifts through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Okay, he's talking about, he's talking about um, Cain there. A question we must ask ourselves when it comes to our obedience and the works in our lives is this. Is the chief end of our obedience, is the chief end of our lives given to give God glory alone is the chief end of our obedience and the chief end of our lives given to give God glory alone. And there are multiple examples of this in, in scripture. You see it, you know, in Matthew chapter six, I'm reminded of, of not standing on the street corner, you know, bragging about what you do. And in our, in our world, Alex and I talk about this often, in our world, in, in this age of social media and self-promotion, we see that a lot. Look at me, look what I'm doing, look what I'm saying, look at all I'm involved with. Does that, ref I mean, ultimately it comes down to the person's heart, which we can't see. We judge the fruit. We don't judge as far as from a condemnation standpoint, but we all have to examine ourselves and we examine others. We're fruit inspectors, Right? What is the what is what is the fruit of your life say about who you are? Thomas Watson, I know I'm quoting him a lot, but it's so good. Listen to this one. This one got me. I had to sit back in my chair when I read this one. Good works should shine, but not blaze. 
Blossom. Wow. True obedience to the word of God looks to make much of Christ above all else. True obedience to God's word looks to make Christ above all else. And here's how we know that's the case. What is the Holy Spirit's main function? To point us to who? Christ. How do we live by the Spirit? According to the word. How does the Spirit speak to us? According to the word. The Holy Spirit does not speak audibly today. It's according to the word. My friend and brother, Justin Peter, says if you want to hear God speak, read his word. If you want to hear him speak out loud, read his word out loud. That's the way that works. And so if you're walking according to the Spirit, if you're walking according to the word, you are going to point to Christ at every turn. And that should be our goal. Our desire should be to obey all the commands of Scripture, understanding what the Scripture is. Now, this is not in my notes, so bear with me. Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is, if you want a short, concise, but powerful chapter in Scripture that details out what the Word of God is and what it can do for you, look at Psalm 19, verses 7 through 14. The law of Yahweh is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of Yahweh is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of Yahweh are true, and they are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, even more than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb, Moreover, by them your slave is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern errors? Equip me of hidden faults. Also keep back your slave from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me, then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of of great transgression. But the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. Did you catch that? Is the word of God more desirable than gold, than much fine gold for you? Understanding that by keeping God's word, you're warned. It acquits you of hidden faults and those presumptuous sins that you commit on purpose by keeping and walking according to the word of God. No doubt this is a verse that the outpost has heard a good bit. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture, all scripture is God Breathe, theanustos in the Greek, and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, having been thoroughly equipped for every good work. Psalm 119, verse 6, then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. And even when we cannot, by the way, and, and will not obey his command, because inevitably we will not obey every command in scripture on this side of heaven, We still love and approve of every command and every passage found in this book. We need to ask ourselves this question. If you've been adopted by God, you should affirm the psalmist's words in Psalm 119, verse 97, and how, oh, how I love your law. But we wrestle with that, right? We wrestle with sin. We wrestle with the flesh. Romans 7, 15 and 16 
For what am I working out? I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm not doing the very thing I hate. But I, Excuse me, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. When we fail, we look upon and we rest in the sacrifice, the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We rest upon his constant intercession for us. Did you know that right now, if you are in Christ, if you are an adopted child of God, right now in heaven, Jesus Christ is interceding for you right now. Did you also know that the Holy Spirit, when you don't know what you're, we're going to get there in Romans 8, but when you don't know what to pray, how to pray, the Spirit prays for you with groanings that are too deep for words. What does that do to your heart? Two members of the triune Godhead are interceding for you. When it comes to the fear of God, there are two types of fear. There's servile fear and there's filial fear, okay? Servile fear is what unbelievers should experience. What we see in, in Romans 1, Romans 2, the storing up of wrath. Do you understand that in hell, that what you experience is not Satan? It's, it's not. You don't experience the devil in hell. The presence of God is both in heaven and in hell. In heaven, it is a glorified presence. It is, a, it is, it is the presence of our Father. In hell, it is the presence of an angry and just God pouring out his unbridled, unending wrath upon those who chose to be there. Understand that. So when we fail, we don't need to hide from God as our first parents, our Adam and Eve did. We need to run to him. If we've been adopted in, he's not, I'm skipping ahead, but this is important. He's not just our master. And this is, this is why I loved where Pastor Alex went this morning. And this is, by God's grace, I'm thankful for, for, for this time, is when he becomes our master, he also becomes our father and one we can trust. So, brothers and sisters, do you love his presence? You know, I think of my son. He'll be eight in a couple weeks, which is crazy to me. But when a child loves his father, he simply or she simply cannot wait to be in his presence. Cannot wait. It's been awesome this weekend being with Alex and Margaret and Alex and seeing the way little Alex just wants to hang out with the boys, right? But he's drawn to his dad. He's drawn to his dad. Is, can that be said of us when it comes to our heavenly father? Flip over to Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my, Psalm 63, verse one. Oh God, you are my God. Is that your prayer? I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. 
My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land without water. Thus I have beheld you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will laud you. Thus I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. Verse five, my soul is satisfied as with fatness and richness and my mouth offers praises with lips of joyful songs. Is that how you feel about your heavenly father? And that being said, we have a family. And I love, man, I love, Alex, the way you addressed your church, family, family. And I saw it today. Like you guys hang out, talk, laugh, cut up, talk about deep theology, talk about what's going on in life. I love it. That's the way it's supposed to be. So as a part of God's adopted family, that's another question we have to ask ourselves is, do we love Christ and the bride of Christ? Do we love being in the presence of our brothers and sisters? Do we seek that out? Or do we come in a superficial way? I'm checking this off the list. I came to the outpost today. Or is it like, man, I want, I want to get to know Jack. I want to get to know Eric. I want to get to know Ron and Alex and, and Susan. I want to get to know you. I want to know who you are. I want to know what you struggle with. I want to confess my sin to you because I need you. 1 Peter 2.17 says, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. That's a whole sermon in and of itself. Here's a question. Do we love those made in the image of God the way that we love ourselves? The universal, remember, remember what I said, it's not a universal brotherhood. It's a universal neighborhood. But what are we called to do to, to and for our neighbors? Do you love them? Do you share the gospel with them? Do you honor them? Do you love the brotherhood? Do you fear God? Here's a fantastic for, question for us in 2024. Do we honor the king? Think about that. When was the last time you prayed for your government leaders, whether you voted for them or not? I know brothers and sisters that can talk more about politics than they can about the scriptures. So then I have to ask the question, are you a brother or sister? Do you like being in the presence of, of the brotherhood and the king in, in, in the scriptures? Or Never mind, I'm not gonna, we're not going to go there. Do we, do we do as Galatians 6, 1 through 5 says, when it comes to carrying each other's burdens? I can honestly say that my brother sitting right back there next to his next to his queen has done that for me. He has been that brother that comes up underneath me. That's the picture that Paul gives in Galatians 6 to help shoulder the burdens of one another. There are so many benefits of the doctrine of adoption. We have multiple passages of scripture that list the privileges and the promises of, of, of what we have. Um, and again, Thomas Watson, he reminds us, he says this, quote, there is not, listen to this, 
There is not a promise in the Bible, but a believer may say, this is mine. Every promise of scripture. 2 Corinthians 1, 20 and 22. For as many are the promises of God in him, they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who has also sealed us and gave us the pledge of the spirit in our hearts. The promise is found in the scriptures. The Puritans have said that it is the brightest pearl in God's crown. And we must understand, brothers and sisters, that as adopted children, we have, uh, and this is one of the, two, two of the last things that we're gonna focus on, and then we're gonna, we're gonna start wrapping up, but we have peace with God. Turn with me to Romans chapter five, and I want you guys to see this. We read Romans 3 earlier, but Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we boast in hope of the glory and the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we boast in our afflictions knowing that affliction brings about perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope and hope does not put to shame because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Verse six, for while we were weak, still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us that in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom now we have received the reconciliation. We have been saved from God by God through Christ. We have peace with God from that servile sense. Now that we've been justified by the blood of Jesus, now that fear of God moves to that filial fear where we don't want to disappoint our Father. We want to honor him. We want to obey him. That's peace with God. But then, and we have to understand something, that the gospel, of, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's a peace treaty. And it's one that we needed. We had to have it. Too often, in most evangelical churches, you will not hear about our need for peace with a holy God. Just yesterday, I heard what was touted to be a gospel presentation that said that Christ came to forgive us of all of our mistakes and things that are sometimes called sin. That is not the gospel. That is not the good news. We will never again, as adopted children, we will never again be at conflict from a standpoint of his final wrath and judgment with God. And not only do we have peace with God, but as adopted children, we have peace from God 
for everything you and I will face on this side of eternity. It was the late Dr. R.C. Sproul who said this, quote, peace is the chief legacy of Jesus to believers. John 14, verse 27, peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives, but get, excuse me, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. That's John 14, 27. John 16, 33, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. Some translations say take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, one of the last benefits I want to talk about tonight is one that we may not think of when we think of the promises and the benefits of being an adopted child of God, but that is the, the, the grace of his discipline and being chastened by him. It's because he loves us that he disciplines us. Hebrews 12 and verse 6 says this, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he flogs every son whom he receives. Proverbs 3, verse 12, which is where the writer of Hebrews is getting this. For whom Yahweh loves, he reproves, even as a father reproves the son in whom he delights. Revelation three nineteen: those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Proverbs tells us, I believe it's chapter 13, says, seize discipline and do not let it go. Take hold of it. God loves us as his children enough to chasten us when he needs it. There's a purpose for that. John 15, verses 1 and 2. I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he cleans it so that it may bear more fruit. And by the way, we want his discipline. We want to receive the grace of his discipline and the discipline of his grace because it comes with a promise. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty two. 32. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. And it's important for us to realize and remember the difference between the corrective wrath of God and the punitive wrath of God. Those of us whom we have a new heart, we don't, we don't fear that punitive wrath. However, we still must face, and we need his corrective wrath and discipline. When he chastens us as his beloved children, and listen to me, church, God's discipline, even though it may not feel like it, is always, and please hear me, it's always a mercy. It, should be ne it never should be thought about as God is abandoning us or it's final or anything like that. And also, I want to say this, because not all of us grew up in church, right? I didn't. The Lord saved me when I was 18 years old. He was drawing me before that, but I'm one of those people when I can remember the moment, I was like, oh, I get it. I get it. We've got to understand and know in the depths of our soul that for the child of God, God's hand is never vengeful or vindictive, ever. Some of us may have grown up with an earthly father who was vengeful, vindictive, wicked. My dad was an alcoholic until two years ago. The Lord saved him. He got sober. 
but it was it was it was rough growing up and so when when the thought of god being our heavenly father that affected my framework to which i viewed god instead of gathering my framework from the scripture i was reading that framework into the scripture and did there were things i didn't submit to god to but we have to understand this truth god is the perfection of what earthly fathers should be not the image of what we may have had Say it again. God is the perfection of what earthly fathers should be, not the image of what we may or may not have had. And that goes for those of us who are fathers as well. God is the perfection of how we should be with our own children. And I I said I got ahead of myself, but I think it bears repeating. We, We must remember that this glorious and wonderful truth, if God is our master, and we are, we are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is also our heavenly father. We remember, brothers and sisters, we must remember that our adoption into God's kingdom is permanent. It was the Welsh, the Welsh pastor and preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who said this. He said, quote, if God has adopted you into his family, if you are a child of God, your destiny is secure. It is certain. It is a guarantee. If God has taken me into the family, I am not only a child, I'm an heir. And nothing and no one can ever rob me of my inheritance. So as we land the plane tonight, I want to draw our minds to that truth. I want to draw our minds to everything we've talked about tonight. And everything that we've talked about tonight in some way, shape, or form is found in Romans chapter 8. So here's what I want to do. It's a little different. I would like everyone to stand and we are going to read Romans chapter 8 together. And as we read this, may the Lord bless you where you need. Romans 8 says this, Therefore, there is, oh, well, we can read that loud, or um, is it going to be different translations? I was going to read it, and you guys can you, can, you can, we can do that. I should have made myself more clear. Sorry about that. We can, we can do that, but, um, but I was just going to read it. I want you to read it and follow along. The reason I wanted everybody to stand up is I've been, I've been preaching for a minute. So I, I want you guys to grasp this. I want you to see it in front of you. This word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword cutting to the division of the bone and the marrow, judging the intentions of the heart. So may may God's word do that for you tonight. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who are, who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. 
And those who are in the flesh are not able to please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, through the body, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you li are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the practices of the body, you will live. For as many are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even when, when ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body, for in hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we with perseverance we eagerly wait for it. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches searches the hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. For we know that, those, that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who indeed did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. 
Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will affliction or turmoil or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? For just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were counted as sheep for the slaughter. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, rulers, nor anything present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, how wonderful are your words, how true are your words. God, we rest our hope, we hang our heart, we put one foot in front of the other in your promises. We give you praise and adoration for the salvation that we have in Christ and in Christ alone. Father, we do not deserve it. We are not worthy to be called your sons and your daughters. But praise be to God that it doesn't matter on the man who wills or runs, but purely upon your mercy and your mercy alone. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that if there be any in this place tonight to whom you have not saved, there be any in this place tonight who are in Adam. They are not in Christ. They are a part of the universal neighborhood, but not the brotherhood. God, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would save them, regenerate their hearts, grant them faith. May they cry out to you in repentance and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Father, we are not worthy to be your children, but we are so thankful and so grateful that we are. Thank, thank you, God, for your patience and long suffering. Thank you for your discipline. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. So, Father, as we go out from this place tonight, as we start this week, may we remember who you are, and may we remember, God, whose we are. God, we love you. We need you. Would you lead us in Christ's name? Amen.